game on on 2FM. With Green Farm. Being up to 90 isn't real. The protein in our range is get real. Thanks to you, Jenny Green, for getting us over the hump of the week. It's Wednesday, the 12th of January, and this is Game On. Coming up today, the Djokovic visa debacle hasn't gone away yet. We'll have the latest from Stephen Higgins. We'll talk to St. Patrick's Athletic manager Tim Clancy along with his new signing Owen Doyle about the new League of Ireland season. And Sinead Farrell will preview the women's AFL. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. Now, welcome along. It is uh, Wednesday and a busy enough day in the world of sport. Uh, we're going to get started with football and the African Cup of Nations. I'm delighted to say that Alan Cawley joins us on the line. Alan, I know from following you on social media that you have been glued to the games today. And I think it was probably because you were loving the drama in the Tunisia-Mali game. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Well, it certainly wasn't for the quality, Marie, anyway, I'll tell you that much, because I haven't been the slightest bit impressed with the quality on show, not just in the game today, but in all the matches. I think it's been a major disappointment in the games that we've seen before, and I've seen a good six or seven of them. But the game today, yeah, um, just when you think it couldn't get worse, it was more for controversial refereeing decisions uh, than the actual quality on show, but... Towards the end, it was obviously Tunisia, Mali, and Mali were ahead 1-0. Tunisia got themselves a penalty uh, after VAR was was um, checked out, and they got themselves a penalty. But Kazri, who many people might know from the Premier League, missed the penalty. But then, as the game was kind of drifting on towards the end, the referee decided to blow it up after 85 minutes, unbeknownst to everybody and all the staff on the sideline who were obviously timing the match themselves. Then when he was consulted and told that he was called, that he obviously uh, blew it up too early, he decided to carry on for another three or four minutes as he had to. But then he blew it up, <laughs> bang on, 80, about 89 minutes with 50 seconds and decided not to play any, any injury time. So the Tunisian management were obviously up in arms. They were absolutely furious, ran on the pitch, had a go at the referee. He was escorted off the pitch. Then when you think there couldn't be any more drama, Marie, they were all in the dressing room and obviously the Tunisians felt really aggrieved because the game was blown up so early. But then um, there was a bit of consultation. And I think in the Tunisian press conference, one of the, obviously, the administrators came in and decided to tell the press conference, oh, it's cancelled now, and we're going back out to play the three minutes. So Mali got themselves back onto the pitch after a bit of persuasion. But then Tunisia never showed up, and then it was blown up officially, and the game ended 1-0. But as I say, this this tournament has been a bit of a shamble so far you look at the quality of the pitches as well Marie they're not great at all as I say the standards have been pretty poor and then just when you think it couldn't get any worse there was a bit of a debacle today with the referee yeah, I've been watching it all right uh, for the last little while and that was mostly because of Mane and Mo Salah well David Stay joins us now on the line David has it grabbed your attention? Good evening Marie um, to be honest the, the... The main reason why I tune in, you're talking about Salah Mane, is more so because of Roberto Lopez playing for uh, Cape Verde, the uh, Sean McGrover centre back. Um, just think it's 
brilliant, brilliant story. The fact that obviously like his father Carlos who would be from Cape Verde and moved to uh, moved to Dublin. I think it was in the late eighties, early nineties. And um, yeah, he had, over the last couple of years he's become a Cape Verde international. They won their won their first game. They're playing again tomorrow. So uh, yeah, from that point of view, I think that's that's the only pin in my uh, my colours that are masked, to be honest. Yeah, we had him on the show on Monday and he was brilliant from Cameroon, just really enjoying it and, and giving us a bit of an insight into what it's like over there. Um, just for himself, it is, as you said, brilliant to see him there. Look, it's transfer season at the moment and it's not that uh, it's not that busy really, Alan, in the Premier League where everyone seems to be kind of a little bit cagey about what they're going to be doing. Maybe with Newcastle and all their money, people are waiting to see what's going to happen there first before they decide. But there is a little bit of movement from the Irish front. We saw Johnny Kenny going to Celtic last week and he was unveiled today and just a lot of people interested in whether or not it's the right move for him. And we actually had a text in asking you that, Alan. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I've been kind of uh, to and fro with this one, Marie, ever since the, the speculation broke last week or a couple of weeks back, and especially when he was over at Hibs as well, because I suppose it came down to, I, obviously, Hibernian or Celtic. Celtic were very keen at the start, then Hibs got themselves involved. He went over and looked at Hibs and went to a match, but then Celtic were obviously back in. I think it largely boiled down to the fact that there was a relationship probably with Willie McStay, who was a former manager of Sligo Rovers, and with young Johnny's dad, who's also called Johnny, and he would have played under Willie years ago because I know from, from obviously coming from Sligo, I know this family quite well. They weren't really big on the whole hype and, and the situation in terms of the speculation around Johnny. They were quite happy with the progress he was making with Sligo Rovers in his first season this year, and they were quite happy how that was going and for ha- happy for him to stay there. But once a club like Celtic, I suppose, gets involved, it's very hard to turn down. But I'd say that was the main reason, Marie. And if you're asking me, as you are, that texter, is it the right move? I suppose it's very, very difficult to turn down when Celtic come calling. And as I say, with the fact that that relationship is there, I'm sure he's been given assurances or the family has been given him some sort of assurances that he will be well looked after with the connection that Willie has, obviously, with the club. So from that point of view, it probably is the right move than going to Hibs. But I think from a footballing point of view, he was probably better off going to Hibs because I think he'll get more game time at Hibernian than what he will at Celtic. But he still is very, very young. He's still developing I think he's still very, very raw, Marie, to be honest with you. If you think this was only his first full season in senior football and he was absolutely brilliant and he even developed, if you go back to the start of the season to where he was at the end of the season, he even developed physically in that eight or nine months alone. So if he keeps up that rate of development and obviously his learning um, with Celtic, I think potentially it could be the right move. But right now, if you're looking for game time and I think Johnny, to be fair, needs to play, I probably would have chose Hibbs. David, you spoke to him a, a little, just a little bit before Christmas about uh, his future. What were your thoughts on on where he's at? Just because, look, he's still so young, and we know now from watching people go across the water and go to different places that it's not always as easy as it seems. Yeah, it's like a couple of things that struck me just from speaking to him. One is for a young man; he's someone who has a lot of cop on and a lot of sensibility about like Alan was talking there about the family not getting caught up in the hype and he was he's the same like I don't think I don't think he's going to be one who'll go over to Celtic and it's a five year contract so this is something that they're going to be investing a bit of time in and they realise as well that he has got that bit of rawness about him and that there's still plenty of, of work to be done but that they definitely have a player on their hands if he can be moulded into the, into the right way and in terms of if it's the right move, sure. Like that's it's only going to be with hindsight that we'll know that over the next couple of years and how he does meet the demands and the different challenges that are going to be there. 
Um, one of the other things that struck me was this is a young lad who does not want to work on the family farm. I don't think he can. I don't think he wants to be that. I don't think he was too keen on some of the uh, the, the labour. He was talking about there. Him and his, he's on his dad working on the farm, and um, and he's one of five one of five brothers in the house, and he's moved over. And um, but even just talking about the sacrifices, like he was mentioning, that his, his uncle would have brought him to training sessions pretty much every morning. He works on the farm as well, and he's kind of joking that he just didn't want to have to step didn't want to have to step foot on it, you know, and uh, like. It's again when you think about how far he's come. Like again, literally, like before Liam, Liam Buckley took charge, he wasn't he wasn't in the in the Sligo first team squad. You know, we he only made his Ireland debut with doing the nineteen this year as well. And again, was impressed, scored scored goals, and was quite telling just listening and talking about kind of what he was doing even through COVID and working with Anthony Elding in a local park, former Sligo striker who's kind of stayed in the area and doing little kind of shooting drills and doing different kind of stuff with him and having that focus even Jordan, say, lockdown when he kind of needed to have it kind of maybe channel that in the right way and then getting involved with the Ireland setup and again Jonathan Walters who he's worked very closely with there he kind of spoke very highly about kind of some of the stuff that he's he said but what was quite telling about chatting to Johnny about about the season was, and again, Alan mentioned this kind of earlier about how he's developed from the start of the season. One of the things that stands out for him in terms of how this whole year went was an early game against Shamrock Rovers. I think it was only three or four games. He got whipped off at half time. Like Liam Bucket didn't make a big deal of it, just sort of said it was for tactical reasons, but in his own head, realised that he was nowhere near the standards that was required. And in his own head, that was something that kind of stuck in it, it stuck with him in terms of having to do more for the team and also having to have a bit more of a presence about him. So bringing it back to what I was saying earlier, I think it's it's a move for the for the young lad who we don't think will be overawed with because I think he has the sensibility to actually kind of deal with it and bit by bit make make an impact on it. Also, I think we, it's it's not one of them where he's gone over and it's going to be going into an under nineteen setup or straight away into another 23 so he's been given a first team squad number and I think that's pretty much the demands that are going to be placed on him that, that's how he's going to be treated Well if he does succeed over there I'd say that picture of him arriving to I don't know was it a match or a training session in the tractor will definitely go viral so if you know getting away from the farming background Alan another little bit of news yesterday was that Killian Phillips has um, left the League of Ireland and he is heading over to Crystal Palace um, he will be linking up with the under 23 side uh, there when he goes yeah another huge opportunity for a young player here Marie um, I think David did an article on some of the young players in the league here and obviously Killian was mentioned as well so it was his first real season with Drada did very well as did a lot of young Drada players under Tim Clancy I know you, you mentioned earlier you will, you will be speaking to Tim who has moved on from Drada but there's four or five of them obviously young Brown has gone to Blackburn as well uh, Danny O'Reilly has gone to Scotland so some of the young boys did quite well for Drada but Killian certainly uh, I think it's a huge opportunity for him slightly different as as David said in terms of Johnny going straight into maybe the first team squad I think Killian's going to go into the under 23 squad where Jake O'Brien I know he's gone out and loan at the moment I think with Swindon but Jake plays there with the with the Crystal Palace under 23s I think he was the captain as well so that would be more of a developmental thing for him as well but I think the one thing with Killian which you could nearly associate to Johnny and we touched on it there even in speaking about Johnny they have really good attitudes and really good young lads and, and they won't, if, if it's a thing that, that it doesn't work out for them, it won't be for the want of effort or trying to have their heads well screwed on, especially Johnny, I know he comes from good stock, a good family um, 
and he certainly is very level-headed. And I think from speaking to Tim Clancy and Kevin Doherty, who I know very well, they said the same of young Killian Phillips too. So it's a huge opportunity for the young fella. Hopefully he does very well, Marie. I know sometimes we look at the league here and think we want it to progress and we want to keep all our best young players. But when they're getting opportunities like that, and when our league is still really very much developing in terms of where we want it to be, it's very, very hard for them to turn that down. And, and it's a no-brainer, really. They can't turn those opportunities down. So hopefully it works out for them. Yeah, for sure. And David, we are getting to see a bit of them though, which is pretty good, you know, even if it is for a season or two while they get um, established and get used to playing that men's football. Yes, no, absolutely. Like even like Owen Doyle, who was kind of did his first kind of press conference um, after being signed back with Pat, like he, he was kind of joking, even making the point that um, like from watching say LOI TV and stuff in the streaming service over the last while like he's kind of seeing the change in the league and that's a young man's league and he's kind of realising that a lot of the old lads who when he would have been here first are, are now gone there's only a couple of them left and he's kind of seeing that now and like we see that with, even with say with, with Killian and that the opportunity to see some of these lads almost in terms of we talk about the market in the League of Ireland and how, how we should be kind of finding maybe a little bit of a niche for kind of for people and kind of get to maybe gain that little bit of interest from maybe kind of people who might not necessarily have a, a, a kind of a, an attachment to one club but knowing that they're going to have a chance to see lads who are at that stage of development where yeah they might be a little bit raw and they could still make, they're still going to be making mistakes but are just going to have that niche, little bit of natural ability about them and could be on the cusp of maybe progressing and with some obviously hopefully that's what we're, we're hoping to see now with, with some, a striker like, like like Johnny Kenny you know that's it's Ireland that's crying out for over the next little while is to see the development we see it with Evan Ferguson in the Premier League now as well with, with, with Brighton he's hopefully on the verge of maybe break, making a breakthrough there but you're kind of cautious not to put too much pressure on them because like as Alan knows he was over there he's a professional he knows the, the pitfalls that can be there and just what's needed just to get that to get that chance but when you, when these lads get a bit of the, have a chance to have that breakthrough over there and someone like Killian like we spoke earlier I spoke earlier about Johnny and like the sacrifices like when I was chanting to him for that article like this for the 42 like almost like you're listening to him and he's like he's a young lad like this time last year he was training with Kilbarnock in the Leinster Senior League in terms of trying to prepare himself physically to get used to playing in the League of Ireland in the Premier Division he'd been around in the Force Division with it and kind of again around the COVID time realised you know what he wasn't doing enough and he needed to be up against men and was with a Leinster Senior League so to basically get hit black and blue and realise what was what was going to be needed physically and obviously League of Ireland would be a step up from even from obviously a major step up from, from the National Senior League and now a year later and some of the sacrifices he made he's in, he's in the Premier League like the story he's telling me about like finishing school going to going into town he's, he's, he's from Kill, like he's from Kilbarrick on the north side in Dublin like literally getting the dart into town to meet his ma who's finishing work a bit earlier his ma's driving off up to draw it and it's waiting for him to try and so his man's out and sitting in the car park outside the train outside the pitch in I yeah, heading the game park and dropping it, waiting for his son to do train and he's still hanging on for twenty five minutes a half an hour after trying and doing all his extra drills. And because of COVID he's not able to have a shower, so he's getting back into our in, into our car absolutely manky dorky. And she's doing this for the whole season and you're listening to these stories and you realise some of the sacrifices that people are making and now when you get that chance he's in an environment now of Crystal Palace with Paddy McCarthy, who obviously Alan will know as well, who's there about twenty three's manager. And it, it's just it's, again, he just strikes you as someone who realizes the opportunity he has and isn't going to get 
bowled over by maybe the glitz and the glamour of of what it is over there in the Premier League and they got Crystal Palace if you get a chance I think they've only recently kind of um, upgraded their training ground they've got an, an unbelievable set up there it's actually worth having a look at it on, on YouTube to see where they're going into but again one of the first things he said was yeah you realise it's great for about five minutes but then still a pitch you have to do the business on the pitch and that's what kind of strikes me a little bit about some of the young lads that I've spoken to have come through is because they have been in those first team environments at a bit of a younger age they kind of realise the demands that are going to be placed on them regardless of it in, in a first team environment but you just hope that stands for them when they do go over to that next step so what I'm taking for you, David, there is that the Mams are the real unsung heroes here in the League of Ireland. Cora, <laughs> Cora, her name is. I tell you, uh, she's a saint. The way you what you're saying, like I can only imagine the absolute smell in that car when 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 he was describing what he was doing out in all the rest of it. <laughs> and I'd say the novelty of watching your son do drill after drill, night after night, would wear off pretty quickly, as well. Alan Colley, there is Premier League action tonight. West Ham are playing Norwich at quarter to eight. Two teams with very different aspirations in the Premier League colliding tonight. Yeah, just before I get to that, Mary, can I just say with, with the league as well, and obviously I know where the, the teams have started back pre-season and uh, these young lads are getting the chance now in the off-season going away, but I think that's what our league offers for these young lads now. It's a much better route. I've often discussed this with you, Marie, and um, young lads that went away, like myself, 14, 15, 16, it's so hard, whereas I think they're far better served now playing their 50 games here, maybe 100 games, whatever it is, and then going into a first-team environment where they're that bit mature as well and they realise the opportunity they're getting. When you go away 14, 15, 16, you haven't a clue really um, in terms of the demands that were going to be put on you, the work that's involved and the opportunity that you're getting most of all, whereas I think the likes of Johnny now, Killian, Jimmy Brown, these young lads, they know exactly the opportunity and they will look to grasp it with both hands because they're that bit older and that bit mature as well. So um, I think it's brilliant for them nowadays and I think that's what our league offers, whereas maybe it didn't before. But just getting to the, the game tonight, yeah, you'd have to fancy West Ham. I think they've won three on the bounce, Marie. Uh, after a little bit of a slip-up, to be fair to them, but they have bounced back well in the last couple of weeks and they've won three on the bounce. And I'd fully expect them to beat Norwich as well. Norwich are struggling. I think everybody has Norwich doomed. Obviously, we have a bit of Irish interest with Andrew, Amabama Daly and Ida, and you want to see them getting game time. But just in terms of their premiership kind of uh, aspirations of staying in the league, I think they're doomed. So I fully expect West Ham to get the victory tonight. Okay, well, David, thank you so much for joining us. Alan, stay with us because, as I mentioned, we will be speaking to Owen Doyle and Tim Clancy a little bit later on. So we will get your thoughts on that for now, though. We are going to take a very quick break and then we're back talking Novak Djokovic. With Green Farm, your rise and grind isn't real. Our protein is... Get real. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Novak Djokovic visa debacle is going absolutely nowhere. Stephen Higgins, tennis journalist, joins us now on the line to bring us up to speed. So, Stephen, where are we at? We at uh, a penny for Novak Djokovic's thoughts. <laughs> I think at this stage of you're wondering, is he thinking maybe I should have skipped this tournament, or possibly you'd hope maybe <laughs> I retired from tennis, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, basically, when we left off last on Monday, we had some form of clarity in the sense of he had won his appeal in court, as people knew, and he was back training for the Australian Open. 
But there was the spectre of a possible decision from the Minister for Immigration, Alex Hawke, that he could still be, his, can, his visa could still be re-cancelled and he could be deported and that spectre was hanging over. We saw a slight change in tone after the bombastic language from the family of, uh, you heard all different things that they were saying about uh, the harassment, etc. There was a slight change of tone on Tuesday morning where his mother was much more looking for a sympathetic angle, saying, uh, you know, don't throw him out. He's a tennis player. He's not a politician. He's not a criminal. He's not a murderer. He's just a tennis player. So clearly someone or some people were kind of thinking the tone we're setting here while uh, his deportation hangs over him isn't great so maybe we should uh, have a more sympathetic uh, tone but because of the situation where I was thinking about this the problem with his issue compared to a lot of sports people is most of the world don't understand what professional sports people go through because it's not their daily life so when Maria Sharpova went through the meldonium situation. No one had really heard of the substance. Very few people go through anti-doping protocols. So no one has a shared experience to talk about. With this, it's safe to assume 2 billion people probably understand at some level COVID protocols. And we've all lived through this for two years. So when his story came out in both the court case and his statements, you know, everyone is kind of jumping in here of like, oh, we understand the protocols. We understand when you get your test, you're supposed to isolate until you get your result and you're supposed to do this and that and things he released a statement after a lot of conjecture that's kind of popped up in the last two days about the dates of his PCR test and his immigration form so this has been an issue that's continued for quite some time where from what we were told in the court documents he tested positive for COVID on December 16th it was about 1.05 p.m in uh, Belgrade he took the test at 1.05 he got the results seven hours later that's according to the court documents. But in a statement that Novak Djokovic released last or earlier this morning, he said that he hadn't actually received the results on that day. He received them the following day after he had gone to the children's event, which he was pictured at, which he said he had taken a negative antigen test beforehand. But in the photo shoot with Lekeep and the interview on the 18th, he did know that he had COVID and he apologised for this misjudgment. It sounds like he's apologising for getting caught because reading his statement, he's trying to say that he just didn't feel like he wanted to let down the journalist. And given how little respect he's had for media, I guess you would think that it's more a case that, look, if nobody knew about it, I wouldn't have cared. Yeah, there's also in his statement, if you look at, he mentions so... This is a thing, again, where we all have a shared experience of this. One of the moments in uh, his travel declaration for getting into Australia, bear in mind that so Novak Djokovic, he was in Belgrade. He trained in Marbella ahead of the Australian Open. There's loads of footage and photos of that in December. I saw the footage myself at the time. No surprise there, obviously. Then he went through via Dubai to Melbourne. On his travel declaration for Australia, which we've all filled in travel declarations, even you know, getting into a hospital you have to fill in, have you travelled in other places in the previous 14 days? The actual question he was asked was, have you travelled or will you travel in the 14 days prior to your flight to Australia? Note, giving false or misleading information is a serious offence. You may also be liable to a civil penalty for giving false or misleading information. On his form, no is ticked. Now, in his statement, he says his agent filled that in for him and it was a simple error. But you're kind of thinking, you're the world number one. You travel for a living. You're in the middle of COVID times. It even says in the question, (laughs) note, you know, make sure you're correct on this. 
everyone knows you've been in Marbella. You're a tennis player traveling around. How could you possibly make the mistake? Or, or like, you know, how were you not more sure to make sure that was correct? And also, and Stephen... And this endless thing of the discrepancies when everyone jumps in to look into them, do they hold up? The the other point as well is that the whole world was, well, the whole sporting world was waiting to see what he was going to do when it came to the Australian Open. So, like, it's hardly naivety that he didn't think he was going to be under a huge amount of scrutiny when he was ticking those boxes. Yeah, even the point of uh, one of the other issues that's popped up, uh, again, you're wondering, did he, is he thinking, maybe I should have skipped the tournament, maybe I should have got vaccinated. But one of the other issues that popped up is there's lots of cyber sleuths around the world. So when his test became known and you can use a QR code to scan it, lots of cyber people were like, oh, I'll look into this. And now it turns out there's discrepancies or questions over the timing of the tests, because apparently it said that he tested positive on the 16th, but he tested negative on the 26th. But then when they looked at the ID numbers and the timestamps and Der Spiegel have kind of looked into this, it looks like that might actually be the opposite. They're reversed, that he had been negative on the 16th and positive on the 26th. And we're not exactly sure now. And that's another question that's added in of, you know, kind of what's going on. There's so many questions. It's just never ending. So from here now, what happens and will he actually be playing in the Australian Open, do you think? Well, this is the big concern. So according to the uh, Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, they say that it's not like the Australian government don't know what's going on, that they don't have Twitter. Uh, They say that the Department of Home Affairs are looking into everything from possible incorrect statements on his travel form, inconsistencies with the dates of his test, and another issue that since he conceded that he went to the Photoshop, or sorry, the photo shoot and the interview knowingly having COVID, that is probably a breach of the isolation requirements in Serbia that even a Serbian Prime Minister has commented on if that's true and that's the case. And they're looking at all that. And you kind of have to think that, you know, is his case falling apart now? Because this still holds out Alex Hawke, the Minister for Immigration, can cancel his visa again and deport him. And you're just thinking, what information has come to light over the last few days that's helped his cause? I think it's going to be a case of we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and there'll be more news, more developments and we'll be talking about it again. But for now, Stephen Higgins, we are going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to turn our attention to the AFLW and the Irish interest down under. There was plenty of it this weekend and we spoke to Sinead Farrell of the 42 and started by asking her about Breed Stack's debut for the Great Western Sydney Giants. Yeah, absolutely. It really was. I was so delighted for her. You know, when you think back to last year when she went over and had that horrible neck injury and, you know, we were told at the time that I think she was millimetres away from a life-altering injury and you wouldn't even want to think about what that could have meant for her and the consequences of that. Like, sport just goes way out of your mind when that seriousness of something like that comes into it. And I know, like, it might not really have dawned on her because she was so disappointed that Basically, that was her season gone and she couldn't, you know, she couldn't get a chance to, to go and play, having, you know, made the move and gone over there with her husband and, and her son. And then for this to happen and have to wait um, another year. And then you fast forward to 2022 and she finally does get that chance. And, I, you know, I was looking back at that video um, from the, from during the week when the team was announced and she was told she was going to be making her debut. And it was so emotional that, you know, it's finally here and, you know, the rehab is done and now she gets her chance to go out and play uh, against Gold Coast and you know she 
it took her a while to get into the game and she admitted that to that herself when she was talking to TG Cahar afterwards. And she said herself, it's the most nervous she's been for a game for a long time. And of course that would be the case. There would have been so much build up and so much kind of hype going into it and so much preparation all culminating in this one game and you know really it's a long season there's a long time there for her to build into the sport and, and get more game time and she did grow into the game I saw her in the in the highlights video last night and you know she was you know easing herself into it it's, it is a big change I know everyone knows that there is a lot of um, commonality between Gaelic football and uh, AFL, but there are differences as well. And she'll just need a bit more time to to get up to the pace of it. Like you know, she's playing with Cora Staunton, who's I think she's I, I couldn't believe it. She's six seasons now into it, and you know she's obviously come back from a huge injury setback herself with a quadruple leg break. And I'm really impressed with with Cora, especially because not only has she come back from the injury, she hasn't had any niggles as far as I know since then. And you would nearly expect something like that, especially with her age, to have come back from something like that and basically just go going home, no problems at all and scoring two goals in uh, in the, the first game of the season. Uh, fantastic for those two. And then also, because also, we just were mentioning um, injured players like Anya Tighe finally getting her uh, AFLW debut after I think basically back-to-back ACL injuries and again a long lengthy rehabilitation to have to wait for your chance and she did really really well um, you know she's a good she's a tall player I've marked her um, when she's playing with uh, with Leitrim she's very tough to mark she's just so tall a game like that would really suit her she was getting in for loads of rucks um, at the weekend and she'll she'll grow into it as well similar to, to Breed she's put a lot into this and the, the club has, has done a lot to, to back her I know Neve McAvoy was mentioning last night um, on Virgin Media that you know, it took a lot for the club to to bank on her and and to to really support her because you know it's, it could have been it could have gone the other way where they're looking at a player like you you might be prone to injury. You know, this isn't your first sport. Maybe this isn't going to work out. But they've given her a chance, and she started really well. And hopefully, it'll continue to go really well for her throughout the season. So it was really good for the Irish players, um, in a sport that is expanding all the time. The standard is, is getting uh, stronger and, and more difficult, but the Irish players are, are matching up to it, so it's brilliant first weekend. Yeah, they really are. And, you know, while we're on the subject of debuts, um, also Rachel Kearns made her debut, but her Geelong side lost to North Melbourne, which Aileen Gilroy was playing for. It's funny when you're, you know, you're almost trying to pick a team, but every team has an Irish person on it. So you're happy for one, sad for the other. But uh, look, it's great for, to see another person make their debut. Yeah, and Rachel did really, really well as well in her debut. Like, I mean, she's so fast, such a such a fast player. Again, she'll really suit the sport. She's so strong. Like, I think in the highlights package, you, you saw she was um, she was getting into it from nearly the off. She went in for this big high catch to try and get on ball early on, really eager, really hungry to go in and make an impression. And, you know, she was popping up a lot in the highlights package. And that's a good sign that she's taken to the sport really well. And you mentioned, you know, Aileen Gilroy is still doing well with, with North Melbourne. I was actually looking back at all the teams that played the weekend. I think Ailish Constantine and Sinead Goldrick and Lauren McGee were the only players who didn't get a chance to play um, I'm not sure what the situation is with Ailish but I think with Sinead Goldrick and Lauren McGee they just couldn't play due to COVID protocol so that's a great return for the 14 Irish players that are out there that they're all very they're, they're really prominent in their teams they're getting picked and they're they're making a big impression with their teams like Ashton Sheridan and Sarah Rowe they're brilliant for, for Collingwood it's basically kind of picking up from where they left off they even linked up for for Sarah Rose um, goal and then Ashton Sheridan got a goal of her of her own later on so it's like I mean the sport needs the Irish players and the Irish players obviously need 
ASLW as well. As well. It's a new challenge for them. They're getting a chance to go to another continent and test themselves in you know semi-professional sport. It's still win-win. I know there's the time frame of the league and what it will do when it crosses over with the ladies' championship. What's going to happen then? We, we, we still don't know. But for, for the moment, it's the best of both worlds. Those players are getting, going to go over there and you know to take on this new challenge and come back with all that athleticism, all that training and bring it to their county teams. It's, it's still a, a great situation for everyone. Yeah, for sure. And look, you mentioned Cora there, been there for six seasons and we're seeing her grow and develop and just become more comfortable with the game with every passing season. And Sarah Rose seems to be one who's going down a similar path um, as well. Just watching her at the weekend and, you know, stats are so important in the AFL and her to have 21 disposals, including 16 kicks. You can just see how more comfortable she is this season. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, when she first went out there, I wasn't really sure how she would take it because while she is very athletic, She's a little bit slight, and I wasn't sure if the physicality of it would maybe derail her. And I know she's had a shoulder problem, and she was strapped up there at the weekend. But Sarah is just an all-round athlete, and she takes these challenges really, really well. And she made an instant impact for Collingwood. They were really keen to keep her from from day dot, and they've stuck with her. She's stuck with them. It's worked out really well. Ashley Sheridan has come in now and has really bolstered it um, for Collingwood too. You know, all the Irish players that are over there are doing really well. Like, I mean, we have two premiership champions in Ailish Constantine mm-hmm. and Orla O'Dwyer. It's, it's a game that's made for them. And, they're, you know, they, they, these are athletes who, who love a challenge and they love trying out new things and, and testing themselves. And, you know, going over there and you're just getting stuck in. And I think even when we go back to Sarah, she's actually, to me, I don't know if you think the same, but she's actually bulked up a bit. She, she looks a bit kind of bigger and a little bit stockier um, in her upper body, which in a game like AFL, in a, AFL where injuries are around the corner there's a lot of ACL uh, issues I think this week it's a very physical sport it's not like Gaelic football where it's just kind of shadow tackling like you can grab jerseys and fling players to the side I, I don't know which game it was but there was a girl jumping up and it wasn't an Irish girl that was involved but it was an Aussie girl I think jumping up for a ball and someone just clattered into the side of her with her knee into the ribs and that's how physical a game it is you know it is not going to work out if you're not willing to, to be bulky and kind of just be good and, and ready and well conditioned for a game like that but they're all doing really well I think the word Sinead you're looking for for I think the word you're looking for there is hits because there are serious hits in in the game and and I'd agree with you on Sarah definitely that um, from a physical point of view she is definitely developing um, a much uh, stronger frame and the same would go for Orla Dwyer as well like just following her on Instagram and seeing all the workouts that she's doing and you can see the physicality coming into her more as well with with nearly every passing week and she was one of the better performers uh, for Brisbane this weekend who came up short against the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 across the board, that's that's what's expected of the players when they go over there because it is that type of sport, it is that demanding. And yeah, Orla, you know, she 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 popped up um, in the highlights video. And if if that's what ha- if if you are popping up in those things, I think that's a really good sign because that's what's coming back to the Irish channels from what the Australian TV stations are, or the, the media over there are seeing. So the Irish players are, they are making a big impression. They've made a big impression in this sport, even in the men's sport as well, and that's carrying through now. And Orla, like we said, you know, she's she's a champion with, with Brisbane. So it's a game that she's taken to really, really well. And all the players would, would are, are likewise. It's, you know, it's just, it's, for the moment anyway, it's going really well. You know, 
like there's no pressure on the players to make any decisions. I don't know what's going to happen when there is that crossover. What you know, what players mm-hmm. are thinking because the lower of GA, it's just very, very strong. And if you're asked to pick between, you know, while it's it's a great opportunity to go over to Australia and and play the sport and all the things that that come with it, going over to stay in the climate and all that, that's that's great. But you know, you'd be leaving behind a sport that you've grown up with. You know, the possibility, the potential of winning All Ireland, that's always going to maybe pull you back. But for the moment, they're all like they're all taken to it really well. And yeah, Oral Dwyer is, you know, big example of that. Yeah, and I'm certainly enjoying watching it as well. Thank you so much, Nate, for that update and we will talk to you soon. Game on on 2FM with Green Farm. Rise and grind and the hustle mindset aren't real. The protein in our chicken is. Get real. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back to Game On. The League of Ireland preseason is well underway. A little bit earlier, I caught up with St. Patrick's Athletic Manager Tim Clancy and his new signing, Owen Doyle. And I started by asking Owen Doyle what it's like to be back. Yes, yeah, great. Um, obviously, it all happened very quickly. I've, I've only had a couple of days there with the lads, but um, now it's great to be back. So, what prompted your decision to come home? Um, basically, I got the phone call off Mr. Kelleher over the Christmas, and obviously, from speaking to himself and Tim, it became it became a possibility very, very quickly. And um, once once the was a runner, it was something we kind of jumped at. So, was it kind of on your mind that you would like to eventually come home, maybe finish up your career here? Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. Um, for the family and stuff we always wanted to get back eventually and I kind of had a thing in my head as well where I wanted to make sure I got back and not too late I wanted to be able to kind of um, have a bit of value for the team and stuff I didn't want to be in a wheelchair and running around the pitch with my legs gone so um, now I was um, now I was clean to get back and just to make sure I had plenty left in the legs to kind of to give a bit to the team you know So how do you like, 33 it's it's not that old it's not that young like how do you feel about coming back? Good, yeah. Like I don't. Um, I suppose some mornings I might wake up feeling thirty three, but I, I can still shift on the pitch and stuff. So um, I've played more or less near enough every game this season so far for Bolton up till now. So there's, there's still plenty left in the tank regarding um, fitness and energy and stuff. So now I'm just really excited, really excited to be back, really excited for the the league to start again and um, has the makings of a good season. Yeah, just before I was chatting to you, I was looking at a video of Wes Hoolahan providing an unbelievable assist in the game last night. And, you know, he's 39, so it just shows it can be done. Of course, yeah. I played against him this year as well um, down in Cambridge. And there was a moment in the corner of the pitch and he chopped me inside out for about 30 seconds straight. So, um, no, he's he's um, he's definitely a credit to himself the way he's able to keep going at that age. I don't think I'm like 39 myself now. <laughs> you never know. Um, so was it like obviously you, you know Tim Clancy so well um, from time in Scotland? Was he a big factor in you deciding to come back? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, um, we've always kept in touch ever since we we parted ways back then. We were at hips together, and um, obviously when he became a gaffer at Drada as well, we talked quite often. And we always when the the streaming service came available um, around the world, obviously throughout the pandemic, it was great for me. I was tuned into a lot of the games every week and I would have watched a good few of his and stuff so there's, there's always been dialogue there between the two of us and when we spoke over the Christmas it was just he was said he was going to try to get it done and I said yeah crack on and um, thankfully it all worked out It must be a little bit strange though that you're being managed by somebody that you used to play with and also there's other people in the league as well that you would have played uh, with and against who were managers too 
Of course, yeah. But uh, to be the Bolton manager, I was with, I played with him as well. Um, so it's I've come from that type of situation. So I know what um what kind of dynamic I'm, I'm coming in for, really. And I was reading as well that your first game for Shamrock Rovers when you did play with them, you came on for Stephen Bradley. Did I? Yeah, I, did. I didn't even know that. I didn't know. I didn't know I came on for him. Yeah. Um, not the funny old um, the funny old way, way things work out over the years. I suppose it's mad when you look back on it. But now I um, yeah, obviously great times back then. Um, they gave me a break in the league and gave me an opportunity to kind of kick on and have a and have a career. So I'll always be grateful for that opportunity. But um, God, yeah, it's a good old, it's a good old start that. <laughs> it's going to be expectation on you as well um, because you know you're somebody that consistently scores goals in all different leagues at all different levels and when you're coming back to a club like St. Pat's and they are definitely going to be challenging for the title finishing runners up last season and also winning the cup there'll be a lot of people expecting you to go out and replicate that goal scoring form that you so often bring yeah this is the time where I tell you I'm only as good as the players around me um, try to take the pressure off myself. <laughs> no, the last few years I've been I've been blessed with um being in good attacking teams. Obviously, I know, but from talking to Tim, it'll hopefully be the same situation again this year at Pat. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's always that trying to get that first one, get get that first goal early will be the kind of take the weight the weight of pressure off you. So, no, I'm looking forward to getting the first and and please God, I can I can knock in a few. Was that a bit of a factor as well? The fact that Tim was able to say to you, look that's what we want to do with the team that we want to have an attacking style of play that you will be able to slot into yeah definitely um, he, he taught me the plans and um, and yeah as I said earlier like I kind of just jumped at it like it was a great opportunity and, and obviously from from looking at him from afar over the last five years like up at Drada when we were playing together I could see the manager in him when we were at Scotland he would have been the most vocal in the, in the dressing room kind of asking questions and as such and, and all that kind of stuff he, he put nutsy under pressure the odd time in team meetings and that so it was, um, you could see there was always going to be a manager in him and then obviously to see how well he done with Drada and the circumstances he had up there was um, he deserves full credit and I'm delighted he's got this job and, and obviously I'm delighted to be a, be a part of the now So when you were away were you continuously keeping an eye on the league checking it out curious how games and that were going? Of course, yeah. Um, obviously, the, the my past clubs every week. I'd look at the, their results. David Webster's my cousin, Finn Harp. So, always um talk to him weekly. Looking forward to that game. The old family group chat will be lively that week. So, um, no, it's um always always had an eye on the league. Yeah, I'm a fan of the league. The league, the league made me, and kind of it was a base for me to kind of kick on and, and kind of have a, a decade over in England as such. So, um, I'm glad I'm able to come back now and, and give a bit back. And where would you put it in terms of, of standard, just given the fact that you have played in quite a f- different variety of leagues? Yeah, it's hard to tell, especially because the league has changed a lot since I was last in it. I know by watching it, it's it's totally different. Every every team now is um has a style of play and a kind of um dog play a bit as well. Like there would have been a, a number of teams back then were a bit aggressive, a bit real one as such, but it's um it's kind of changed a lot now. It's hard to really tell. Every single league I've played in has had a different standard, um, for for different reasons as well. Some of them might be more physical. Others could have been just the style of play of teams as such, or, or more mistakes made in certain leagues than others. But um, what I do know is that like the league of Ireland, I was very young, um, so I know there's going to be high energy. Hopefully, a few defensive mistakes for my uh, for my benefit. And um, no, but it's, I'm just really looking forward to getting into it. Obviously, looking at the games over the last whatever it was, eighteen months on the on the um, watch LOI or the whatever it was called, it was um, kind of gave me the goo to come back. 
Good. Well, we wish you the very best of luck anyway and looking forward to seeing how you get on. Thanks very much. Now I'm delighted to be joined by St. Patrick's Athletic Manager, Tim Clancy. Tim, first of all, congratulations on the role. How's it been going for you? Yeah, it's been busy. Very, very busy, but um, enjoyable as well at the same time. And it's that time of the year where you put your squad together and all the all the work you're doing, I suppose, goes unseen. Um, but now we're back on the pitch and the training uh, on a day-to-day basis. That's the that's the fun part. Is it easier to put a squad together for St. Pat's than it has been for Drada in the past? I wouldn't say easier. I'd say you probably have more selection of players to pick from from a, from a wider range. Um, but I, I, I still, it's 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 the worst part of the season for uh, any manager is the off season and the the time leading up to the first game of the season. It's it's sort of really hard and it's same challenge but just different different uh, sorry obstacles to get over as well. Are we going to see any more signings from you? Yeah, we should get a few more in in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, this week we should have a couple in and we'll be looking to strengthen in a few areas now leading up to um, the start of the season and hopefully we'll try and get them done in the next uh, week or two. What about the goalkeeper? Is that somewhere that you have somebody in mind for that position? Yeah, we're, we're looking at um, a couple of options. We'll have one in this week and then um, we'll be working on another one as well. And uh, It'd be good if we could obviously get, get that done early as possible um, leading into the pre-season games and it might allow us an opportunity then to loan someone out to get experience as well. So um, it's definitely an area that we'll be we'll be uh, doing a bit of work on in the in the coming weeks. There was a huge amount of coverage since the cup final about Stevie O'Donnell moving to Dundalk and vacating his role with St. Pat's. Did that make things a little bit trickier for you when you came in? The fact that all of that was going on in the background and there was a huge amount of outside noise. No, not really. Um, I've been a manager for four years now and. I still see myself as a very relatively new manager and inexperienced. So it's an opportunity that I've been looking for and craving for for the last four years. Um, whether we had gone full-time at Drogheda or another full-time position came in. And as soon as this uh, opportunity arose, it was something that I was just delighted to get done. And um, and then I was just excited to, to get to work. And when I got John Daly in, it was, it was more or less, right, let's get the squad together now and sort of get going. So what's life like for you? Because I think anyone that's followed your career knows that you were juggling uh, a full-time job and being a part-time football manager. And I think anybody who follows the league and, and follows sport knows that you're never a part-time manager. It's full-time as well. So I imagine you didn't have a minute to yourself um, before with having to, to work too. So what what's life like now? Yeah, it's, again, I, I spoke to previously to the, to the other lads in the media about... Um, It's been nearly 20 years now since I left to go and play uh, in England. And from 18 years of age, the second I left school, uh, it's all I've really been involved in is football. And then for a couple of years, I worked a a full-time job as well, which I suppose they say is a job in the real world. And it was a bit of an eye-opener for me, but needs must. Um, And it was difficult juggling it and not having much time to spare. And any time I did have, sure, I had four kids as well and a wife. So that was filled up pretty quickly as well. And, it's been brilliant though to get back into um, full-time football in the morning and um, I suppose having the evenings free. Um, again, as you said, you're not really free. There's phones going 24-7, but it's good to be having there in the evenings with the with the children and the wife as well. So it's it's a better balance for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. And as you said, I didn't mention the, the four children that you had at the start as well, which is um, definitely a big commitment trying to, to give them time too. So um, it must be nice just to have that little bit of extra time. So does that does this give you kind of um, 
just in terms of planning now, when you look at the players that you have, and we spoke to Owen Doyle, and he was mentioning that he wanted to play in a, an attacking team, and that's something that um, you've told him will be an option for him in St. Pat's. That's the way you hope to be playing. Yeah, from my previous job with Drogheda, um, it's something that we always encouraged was to try and get the team to play attacking football. And um, I think we had a positive goal difference last season, which was remarkable for us when we just got promoted. Um, and I think for the three years in the first division, we were either top scorers or second top scorers in the league. So it's something that we like to, uh, I like to do as a manager is to, to attack and, and score plenty of goals. Um, and then when you bring in the likes of Tunde in and um, Owen Doyle in as well, it's it's certainly uh, beneficial for us to create as many chances as possible. And, and the more chance we create for them, the more goals that we should be able to score. And inevitably, the more goals you score, hopefully the more games you win. So. Yeah, and we spoke to Owen as well just a little bit about the expectation that comes when you join St. Pat's who are were runners-up last season and also went on to win the Cup. That that pressure will be on the players and it'll be on you as well now to take that extra step. Yeah, again, it's it's I see it as an opportunity to build on last year and um, I don't know what Rovers won the league by in the end, maybe 15 points or so. So um, it's my job to try and get that gap uh, shorter and um, build on the, the success that the team had last year and there's a good lot of them re-signed from this year, uh, this season as well so they got that little taste of sort of success last season that's something that we've got to try and build on now and um, close the gap that was ahead of us and, and try and succeed in Europe as well it's another uh, big thing for the club and I think when you see the success that Dundalk's had previously and Shamrock Rovers had a good run last year in Bowes as well so it's, it's something that we have to look at as well and try and emulate it emulate that and again as I said to you it's it's a pressure but it's a pressure that's a good one to have um, rather than the pressure to try to stay up and avoid relegation yeah for sure and it's just funny when talking to Owen and we're talking to him about being 33 and, and that little bit older and you know we're talking to you and you're in and around the same age and you're going to be managing him as well which would be quite an interesting dynamic given the fact that you were former teammates too yeah I have a bit of experience with that as well with um you Douglas and Chrissy Lyons at uh, um at Drogheda I was, I was teammates with Chris at Sligo and at Bray and I was teammates with Yui at Bray and then um you become the manager and listen it changes to a degree but um once there's respect there and the relationship that I have with them was is, is still very strong even survived four years as a, as a manager with Chris I'm still good friends with him so um, that'll be no different with Owen it's, it's one that will be uh, again there'll be nothing, nothing going into the in, into the relationship in regards to what's best for the team and um, previous relationships don't really matter it's just what's get the best out of Owen get the best out of players around him which will be the best for Pats as well and, and that's the main thing So what's success for you then this season? I'm not going to sit there and put any targets on top of it but um Listen, first off, it's getting the squad finalised and getting a strong strong squad that can succeed. Um, did a brilliant uh, season last year, finishing second and um, winning a cup and they're in Europe this year. So it's it's about putting a, putting structures in place that uh, can allow us to compete in them levels again and, and hopefully go uh, a bit further and um, have a go at Europe as well and try and be successful and get through a few rounds there and see how far we can go and see if we can close that gap to Shamrock Rovers. Um, they've, I think set the, the benchmark the last few seasons in regards to the league and um, they've won it quite easily the last two years and it's 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 my job to try and um, give it a more maybe challenging uh, season for them and if that means it's getting a lot closer that would be success for me well, Definitely plenty to look forward to anyway Tim Clancy thank you so much for taking the time
No, Barbara. Thanks so many. Now, Tim Clancy and Owen Doyle, they're speaking to me a little bit earlier on, looking ahead to the season, which will start in February. That is all we have time for this evening. Thanks to John Farrell for producing. We'll be back tomorrow with lots to look forward to. We'll be previewing the Champions Cup and also talking American sports and looking ahead to the weekend's GA Club Championships. Tara Kumar is up next. Green Farm. Being flat to the mass isn't real. Our protein is. Get real. Two.